two, one, action. What's up, everybody? Oh. Yeah, this is just a, this is just a screenshot of Beans. He's not here. He, uh... He wants to spend time with his wife for Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to all you couples out there who celebrate this mushy stuff. Um, yeah, so Beans will not be with us tonight. But, um, this is a rebellious podcast. I'm Germ, yada yada. <laughs> So, one of the things that we offer with the Beard of Rebellion Beard Club is some specialized specialized chats. Uh, we've had guys from the military in the past, and uh, tonight, some guys from our uh, addiction recovery chat, which is called The Fix, they're here with us tonight. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to hang out and talk about that type of stuff let me get everybody in i don't want to be that big what's up guys what's up what's going on man there we go yeah so we we have the fixed chat how are you guys enjoying that little feature of the club it's good man um any anytime somebody needs some help or you know need any advice on something you know there's always somebody to chat with in there so it's it's good yeah. i know it's good, for, it's good for all of us so yeah i'll tell you what it's not it's not like the most active chat in the club but uh when somebody does post in there uh it blows up real quick with uh with a heck of a lot of support and love and if somebody's looking for it yeah it could definitely be a lifesaver at times yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's helped a lot. I've been gone in there a couple of times. Like certain times of year around the holidays, it gets real off, you know, when you're not partying and everyone else around you partying a lot. Like so, I've gone on there a couple of times after work and just vented a little bit. And it's nice to see people just jump on and say hello and you know, give you that words of encouragement. Yeah, it's been it's been real cool. That was actually when I when I first joined the BRBC, I was a little bit worried actually because I didn't know there was people in recovery in the club. So, uh, you know, getting added to that chat and get to know that some of my brothers are, uh, you know, dealing with the same struggles that I deal with. It's awesome to see, it's, like, uh, like other guys mentioned, it's the support and love that I see in that chat. While it's not the most active, when it is active, it's popping with support and love to each other. And that's, that's awesome to see and be a part of. Yeah, having all the same guys who have been through a lot of similar situations all in one place, you know, uh, it's really beneficial. So I think, you know, along with this chat and some of the others that we have in the club, you know, I mean, it's just just a super nice thing that we have as a club, you know. Even the, the guys in other chats, I think there's, what, a tattoo and wrestling chat and everything else now, too. Got the the workout chat, workout chat, fitness, yep, yep. Uh, dad chat, which that's been cool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely got we got something for everybody in, in far the, the chat specific groups. Yeah, we got some guys tuning in here. Sean, what's up? What's up, Bo? What's going, what's going on? on, guys? 
going on, brother? There he is. Yeah, you, you know, you know, DJ is going to be here. Oh yeah, that's our brother right there. What's up, DJ? Yeah, yeah. And, Man, uh, Sean, bike. let us know whatever chat you want to join. There's a list of them. They posted them, so uh, check so, me yeah. out, brother. Um, so I don't know. You guys want to introduce yourself? Yeah, you guys want to? You know, hey, uh, my name's Jeremy, and uh, I had an opioid problem in the past. And it's something that I've overcome, and I feel a lot better about now. I'm a better person. Uh, that's why I'm in that chat. And um, honestly, the whole bearded community really helped with that too. Uh, during that time, I didn't, I didn't have uh, anybody to talk to. You know, uh, anybody to go to, anybody to share experiences with. Uh, then I got into the bearded community, which is huge. And there's a lot of brotherhoods out there that, uh, with guys who share the same experiences. And uh, so that's just changed my life, you know, and it definitely helped throughout the process. So that's a little bit about me. Anybody else? Yeah, I'll go. So I'm Joe. Uh, everybody calls me. Oh shit! Ding, ding. <laughs> backwards. Backwards. <laughs> so uh, I guess in September I'll have five years clean. Um, meth was my my downfall. I guess I'll say it started way early in life. You know, um, I think I was 16 the first time I tried it, and it's kind of off and on uh, throughout the years, uh, but. Five years ago, uh, I was in a really bad accident. Um, Should have died. Uh, thank, thank God that uh, I was not wearing my seatbelt in this particular accident because I was thrown to the floor of the vehicle, and there was about eight inches of the roof to the driver's seat where I'd been sitting. So I was out of trust and done. Um, but yeah, kind of. You know, it, that took me to a really dark place. Shortly before that, you know, I found myself wandering the streets alone, no food, no nothing, no friends. And after that accident, you know, I just, I woke up in the hospital. My mom was there in the hospital with me, which my mom's always been, you know, uh, my best friend my whole life. So she's there even when I, in worse ways, you know. And I just. Yeah, shout out to moms. Enough's enough, you know, and it was time to turn the life around. I lost, lost my family. I got a divorce. Um, my kids, like everything, and you know, it. When you go through something like that, when you do something like that to yourself, I was just talking to um, another guy that I go to NA meetings with, <clears throat> and and he said, you know, Joe, when we do that, do that kind of stuff to ourselves for so long, for so many years, it almost takes twice as long as you get it all back. And it's true. Um, I've, I'm in a really good place now. Things are starting to go really good. This club has also helped me out immensely, uh, mentally and staying straight. It, it, you know, it gives me something to wake up, wake up for every day. Um, some of the guys in this club, I've gotten real close with it. I'm, I'm very good friends with Jerm. He's the only reason I've been here actually. Um, he introduced this club to me and, and it's, uh, 
it's been a godsend, honestly. So, yeah. Right on, man. All right, I guess I'll, I'll follow that up. I'm Jimmy. I'm the lieutenant of the New York chapter. Um, I've been sober since October 17th of 2019, and uh, crack cocaine and, and IV heroin have broken my knee. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at somebody who. Uh, I mean, I'm in this club because of my connection through the recovery community. Um, one of my brothers in the recovery community you know, pitched the club to me and told me about the club, got me here. Um, <laughs> I see you smiling down there. <laughs> it was Eric, everybody. <laughs> it was Eric, but uh, but yeah, man, much much like Ding Ding, um, you know, I'm 30 years old, and uh, you know, I, I took every penny that I had and I put it up my arm, and they're into a stem, and you know, I uh, I was homeless. You're looking at the the, the typical homeless, hopeless, you know, street bum right here. And, uh, you know, I, I lost my family. I lost my daughter, uh, wound up in jail, many, many rehabs. And, uh, you know, I finally, I finally got it. Right. And uh, I'm a member of 12 step program as well. And, uh, you know, my life today is beyond my wildest dreams, man. You know, I'm working. I'm actually, I'm, I'm from New York, right? We're really flying down to Orlando this week on Wednesday. It's supposed to be 86 degrees sunny. And uh, that's just a gift of sobriety for me, man. I mean, I couldn't put two days, I couldn't put two pennies together. That, you know, that, that's not my story anymore. You know, that, that's my best. And uh, I'll tell you what, for me, recovery, especially from COVID, it got really lonely, right? And, and uh, this, this is where the club is really up for me, man. I mean, I've been to brothers in the club that, uh, that a ride or die, you know what I mean? I know damn well if I pick up this phone and I type in Discord, I make a phone call or a text that uh, my brothers in the BRBC are going to stand up for me. They're going to have my back no matter what, you know what I mean? And, and that's something that, I don't know about you guys, but when I was out there getting high, if I didn't, if I didn't have the same bag or if I wasn't going to make the next move, those people weren't my friends anymore, you know what I mean? There's nothing to do with me. So, uh, I mean, this BRBC man is really, has really filled, filled a major hole in my life. I'm extremely grateful for it. I'm extremely proud to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, it feels good to, to help other people as well. It's also great benefit of But, yeah, it's a little bit about me. Oh, yeah, good shit, man. And keep up the good work, man. That's tough, man. You know, that's, it's tough. Changing your life. You know, you're becoming a whole new person. Becoming sober and everything. Dave? Uh, well, I guess I'm the old guy around here. So. <laughs> uh, I'm 50, uh, 50 years old. Uh, got six kids. Uh, I've been sober and clean about maybe 12 years this coming Father's Day. Um, I partied for probably around 25 years. Really, really never stopped from the time I was 14. Well, I was like a 38 or so. Um, at the time, I was already married twice. I uh, had five kids with my, my wife now. And, uh, I, I, you know, I can't say I had a horrible life at the time. I have really bad OCD. So what I realized when I quit partying was that I was suppressing the OCD. You know, and it was my way of calming down. It's like I never calmed down. 
So, but when I'm not partying, when I'm partying on my worst day, I'm more active than people on their best day. So that was kind of hard to stop. And uh, but I knew my kids were getting older, and I wanted to be like a role model for them because I started partying when my around the same age as my my oldest at the time, and I figured I wanted to show them a life could be lived without. It. You know, I never saw life from anyone in my family without drugs or alcohol. Everyone was was partying from the time I was a kid, and that's all I ever saw. And I'm sure a lot of us, you know, that's how you, when you see it around you when you're a kid, it's just or around you just keep you do it because everyone else is doing it. And it was a good way to kind of suppress the feeling and calm down a little bit. And, and, but I, you know, that, thankfully I didn't lose my family. I mean, I got lucky with that. My wife was very supportive. At first, she actually didn't really want me to stop. You know, she didn't want me to be the great, you know, I was one of those really happy party people. I was always buying everyone everything. I mean, I was successful, so I was buying everyone drugs and drinking and buying everyone, you know, always the one, buying all the shots at the bar. Um, so it was harder to stop because I lost pretty much all my friends and I lost everything as far as, you know, relationships concerned. And then, uh, and then, I don't know, over time, I just learned to take that OCD and just re-harness it and put it back into my job and you know maybe more successful and then give my kids a phenomenal life and honestly my three older kids don't touch drugs at all drinking and it's amazing because they're in their 20s and early teens late teens and you know we were doing back then you know so it was it was a good thing for me to give them that you know and uh it's been it's been okay you know like it's been hard i had to do it alone i didn't have any support um, I worked too much to really have time to go to any meetings and stuff like that. But I had some family that was clean and sober, and they helped me kind of get through it every day. And, uh, I'm lucky I had a good support system now. And I know a lot of guys that don't have that. It's a lot harder, you know. But I have yeah. to give a quick shout out to my New York brothers out there, guys. I love you guys, Joey. You know, doing it. And I just want to make sure, but though you guys know and my New York brothers know that. Joining the club has been an answer to a lot of prayers, you know, to find people that can relate to, not just with the addiction thing, just with everything. You know, like you said, you can jump on here at any time and join any group. And I mean, I hate you guys know it's never boring. <laughs> no, never a dull moment. And uh, yeah, like, like I said, not just addiction or whatever, but I mean, at any time there's all these guys who somebody's going to relate and talk to you and and be there and, and at times and at our worst like so i didn't have anybody there for me and um my significant other at the time was doing the exact same thing i i was doing so you know it just made things even worse and lost a lot of shit ruined some friendships and you know and then one day it was just like all right that's enough you know and um yeah, I never did anything like 12-step or anything. What's that like, Jimmy, going through a 12-step program? And so, the 12-step program, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to put in the words for me, man. I mean, it, it literally saved my life. It, it literally saved my life. It, uh, more or less, they're long story short, 12 steps are uh, basically they're just about, you know, Cleaning house, right? And all your get all your guilt out there, kind of helping to accept that and things that you've done, and then uh, 
getting in touch with the more spiritual side, you know, of yourself and, and that kind of aspect. And then just being a better person and giving back to the next person. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the, the key in the 12 steps is service, you know, doing, doing for the next guy. And it um, doesn't have to just be in that meeting or in that fellowship or what have you. Sur- service is right here in the club. You know what I mean, doing the charity work, talking to the next brother, um, things like that. And the 12 steps are really just about uh, getting out of self, right? You no, know, for me, when, when I was when I was in high, I mean, selfish, self-centered doesn't even describe, you know, how selfish and self-centered I really was. It was all about me. It was just living in it. I never thought about anybody else. Like, daughter i lost everything man for that for that drug and uh i didn't care you know what i mean as long as i got my fix and i got my high that was all that mattered by anything necessary i, I was going to get that next one right? and uh you know coming into sobriety and going into a 12 progress on the process you know i learned that uh part of staying sober you know, think about the next person think about somebody else that i can help somebody else that i can be good for you know and and doing it. I mean, it's about the action. They're great. Ideas are great, but what kind of action am I going to put forward and put towards that, you know, and then follow through with it? There you go. Oh, yeah. Joe, Joe, you went through a program as well? Yeah, and just to add a little bit more to what Jimmy said, you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, admitting to, your, to yourself, you know, that you have a problem and doing the right things to take care of it and making amends um, to everybody that that you wronged while you were, you know, off doing whatever. Because no matter which way you look at it, you intervened in somebody's life in one way or another, and it was probably not in a good way. Um, so dealing with all that stuff's huge, too. Um, yeah, I don't know. Beyond that, it's just, like he said, helping other people out as much as you can and and trying to be a better person every day. So, and it's always, you know, it's one day at a time. Um, yeah. I, you know, Dave's been clean for what he said, like 12 years or something like that. I, I guarantee there's still times that those thoughts still go through your head. You know, even being five years, I, those thoughts still go through my head. It's just learning how to deal with them and not acting on them, you know. So finding something else in your life that, that will that will keep you from acting on all that. I still wake up every day probably and remember something I did to someone and it's been 12 years and I still, I mean, look, I was partying for 25 years and there's probably a drug I haven't done and uh, to excess. And um, when you get lost in that, you know, you don't realize how many days you lose in your life until you, you snap out of it and then they start coming back 12 years later, still remembering something that you said or did or someone you hurt. And you have to live with that every day. But you also can't spend your life trying to feel bad and make amends for it because what's done is done. I mean, you can't, carrying around that burden can drive you back the other way pretty quickly if you're not careful. You know, you got to let it go and say, you know what, it is what it is. And if I come across someone I hurt, then I will make amends. But you can't chase it. You have to just kind of move forward. You know, so one thing I've learned to deal with is being able to move forward and say, you know what, I'm a good person now, and I and, and, and I'm better than most people as far as being able to walk away from that past, because you can live there in regret. 
and that can be really bad for a lot of people. I've seen it tear people down. So, oh yeah, yeah, sitting there dwelling on it all the time. And I mean, I, I look at it like if I, you know, if I could do better now and do something to not cancel it out, but you know what I mean. Just, Try to even the scales. Yeah, yeah, even the scales. There you go. And yeah. You know, sometimes you go through you 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 go through something in your life so you can actually at some point help someone else. You don't realize why you go through it, but at some point, like you were meant to go through it for something. I've helped a lot of people in what I do for a living. I talk to people all day long, and so many times I've had people in my chair just stop crying because I'm sharing, and they're needed to hear that. You know, and then they were going through something, and I didn't know it. You know, you hit on a nerve with someone. Telling your story sometimes is hard for us, but at the same time. You don't realize how many people you, you can help because people we don't we, no, not many people are open about it. So yeah, I you know I I think there's only a couple of drugs I haven't done, and um, you know I don't I don't know I don't look at it as a bad thing. You know I live my life. I you know I did what I did and. Um, and I'm living my life now, and you know what I mean. Like, I don't know, not a whole, not a whole lot of shame in my game when it comes to it. You know, like I'm not, I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ashamed either. But yeah. I mean, just just taking that and learning from it, and you know, moving forward and doing better than I ever did then. So I mean, where I'm at now is is a pretty good place. So. I still have an addictive personality, though. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, like, when it comes to anything, man, I just go full-fledged. Like, I, you know, when I started playing Clash of Clans, I went into that game hard. When I, you know, when I started bearding, I went into that hard. Yeah, right? you know? I mean, just like, in anything that I do, it just, I, I really get into it. And sometimes it's a good thing. Yeah, I think I think you kind of kind of hit it on the head with that term, right? I can even look back. I mean, I started, I started in high drinking at twelve, but uh, I can look back even further, five, six years old, and if it made me feel good, use it, and I would abuse it point of excess. You know, even you know, I don't, I don't know how many women are in the chat, but even like when I hit puberty and masturbation, I mean, it made me feel good. It was an escape for me. And it was, you know, it took excess. Everything in my life, if, if, if I excess, and then, you know, I started getting high and drinking, and, and my brain said, dang, there's your ticket, there's your solution, there's the answer. And it was the answer to the problem of me. What was wrong? I, just, I felt good and I felt more comfortable when I was high or when I was drunk. You know, and eventually, you know, substances, man, they get you. Until they start controlling your life, and they say they say that last one to know. And now talking to my family, they knew I had a drug problem. You know, long, long before I would ever even afford. You know what I mean? Everybody else is doing it. You know, I know I got kicked out of college, but that's because I got caught because I did that one stupid thing. And like the reality is, no, and high, but they weren't getting high like I was. You know what I mean? They were doing it on weekends. I was doing it every single day before school, during school, and it, and it, it grew and grew to be this. Beast. 
consumed me to where I was no longer Jimmy. I was drugged, you know what I mean? And it, it can be a real, real frightening experience, you know, if you don't catch it early. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, a, a, fun, a functioning addict, you know, just doing it to, to maintain and, and to, yeah, uh, when other people are just doing it recreationally. Uh, that was one thing, you know, having to do it. Um, let's see. I don't know. Um, is it, do you guys think it's hereditary? Yep. <laughs> you think so? I mean, I don't know. Is that a proven fact? I don't know. I don't know if it's hereditary, no much genetics as much as it is what you see. I mean, I saw my father, you know, was an asshole. Excuse my language, but he, you know, he was an alcoholic. He was a horrible person, yet I wanted to be just like my father. You know, he was the only person I knew was having fun. And then my brother became an alcoholic and my aunt became a, used to take my brother out partying when taking and doing cocaine and drinking when he was like 18. And I was jealous of that. And I, you know, followed suit. It was just so genetically visual. Yeah. But, you know, we see what we see. And we, I don't know how many have what happened for you guys, but for me, it was just a natural progression of, you know, follow suit. They were, they were like people having fun. You know, my mother, who was the only person who didn't drink, wasn't having, having, wasn't, you know, wasn't having fun. She was always upset. So, you know, why be sober and be like her when you could have been like them? And uh, it just happened that way. Yeah. My my dad, um, he went pretty hard in the paint pretty quick. Uh, like, he used to just have a drink here and there, casual. And then... Um, Due to stress, he just started drinking a lot. And then he was in and out of the hospital. And then it, then that's that's what got him. And, uh, I was eighteen when he passed, and uh, and it was from drinking. But that happened like within months. You know what I mean? And uh, but I don't think that I don't know. I, okay, so his thing was vodka. So, like, I don't drink vodka. But I drink everything else. But not a lot. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't think it played any part to what I did when I was younger. Maybe dealing yeah. with the pain. Well, I think we learned our coping mechanisms from our parents, right? So I learned to watch the people who coped the best. That's how they dealt with it. I mean, they, they had these, every time there was a problem, they were doing drugs or storing cocaine. They were, seemed happy afterwards. So it was, you know, when you were in pain, especially when you're a kid and you're going through a lot of shit, you know, 12, 13 years old, and, you know, you got to learn to deal with pain. No, next thing you know, you start stealing cigarettes and it's, you know, alcohol and it's hot and it's, Acid, then it's meth, then it's cocaine, then it's you know that yeah. train. Yeah, I started smoking to be cool, and I'm still yeah, smoking, too. and I'm still not fucking cool. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, neither neither of my parents—they're they're straight as if they come. I don't have a beer here and there. Um, I have a sister. I have an older this process. But other than that, I mean, it's only up two in my family. So, uh, you know, I don't think it was so much learned. It was, but, uh, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was 
the rush of getting over. You know what I mean? Like coming home stoned and not getting cold. You know what I mean? And, I, I have a, I'm a know-it-all, right? I, I, know, I know everything and I know better. So, like, you know, my parents are sitting there saying, oh, don't do this, don't do that. Well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to succeed at it. And you're not going to catch me. And it was, you know, that was just as much of a rush as, as the high was playing that cat and mouse game. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Aaron right here. Six years sober come May. Hey, good job, Aaron. Dog, man. Oh, Keep yeah. going. <laughs> Aaron, uh, why aren't you in the – he's not in the fix yet, I don't think. I, I don't know if he is or not. I haven't seen him in there, I guess. Uh, so Aaron says it took homelessness for him to quit, drank away uh, army pain, and lots of friends loss. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was I was almost too Aaron. You know, I was I was that guy as well. Uh, thank you for your service. Uh, I couldn't imagine that what that was like. I know just from my experience as a heroin addict. I mean, we all know, right? We all see, you know, the opioid epidemic. And uh, I'm thirty. I'm thirty years old, and I'm probably close to fifty friends all around the same age that 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 died. You know, due to due to heroin use. You know, it's terrible. It's not it's not getting any better out there. And I just I just pray that everybody that's struggling reaches out for help. You know, anybody in the chat that's in the club or not in the club that uh, that may be struggling and thinks they have a problem or knows somebody that has a problem, please, man, please reach out to one of us. And, uh, and and just you know, let's see if we can do something for you, man. Because it's it's a killer. It's a killer. And heroin's quick, but I know, like I said, alcohol can be a lot slower. You know, over a couple of years, miserable suffering, and that nobody should go through alone. Yeah, it is tough because you know, a lot of people don't even you know so they experience pain and then they get prescribed it and then. And that was that was the thing for me. I felt fucking great, man. I would, you know, I'm cleaning the house, I'm mowing the yard, I'm, I'm extra productive at work, and you know. But then it's just trying not to feel like shit and doing that for so many years, and then you know, it just it wasn't fun anymore. And yeah, I just wanted to feel normal again and. I think I feel normal again. Yeah, but may what's not, normal? <laughs> well, yeah, I say right. I may not act right. normal, but, you know. And that's hard, too, you know, taking that, telling yourself that, you know, take a step back and be like, damn, like, I need help. I, I still remember the day when I called my mom, and I was like, Mom, will you, will you come get me? And she, she didn't ask no questions. She said, where are you at? And she came and got me, you know, and that, that was the start of my recovery. I was left um, in a city probably an hour and a half, two hours from here, all by myself. Like I said, walking the streets by myself, just trying to survive. And I took a look in the mirror. I was actually in a bar in the bathroom, and I took a look in the mirror, and I was like, you fucking, you need to change right now. And I... Like I said, I called my mom, and here we are today. So, 
you know that was for me too it was just like that one instant that one moment just sitting in my basement cocaine drugs drinking everything around me all by myself three o'clock in the morning like alone family upstairs and just wasting my life away and i didn't even know why you know something just said you know what it's time now i felt like if i didn't stop when i did i wasn't going to survive the next couple of years definitely not it was on the train was just getting faster and faster and it was never enough you couldn't do enough drugs and couldn't do drink enough. I was drinking like a liter of vodka a night, bags of cocaine, all by myself. Like, just what the hell? You know, like, wasting money and everything. And you just start feeling your heart racing. And I remember that night I went to bed and I was laying next to my wife and I looked at her and I actually said goodbye because I didn't know if I was going to wake up in the morning. Oof. And when I woke up that next morning and I opened my eyes and I saw her and I saw everything and I said, you know what? That's it. I, I don't want to ever have to have that feeling again. You know, wow. it was the scariest time. Very scary. Yeah. Yeah. Because that headspace that you're in when you're indulging and, you know, and, and just fucked up, you know. Oh, man. Yeah. You, like, when you're in that headspace, like you just said, you don't, you're not acting rationally, thinking rationally. Oh. You're not even thinking about your responsibilities that you have in life. All you're thinking That's about it. is getting that next fix, you know, or keeping that train going. And it's, like I said, it's hard to take that first step and tell yourself, you know, I need help. Yeah, I mean, I remember for me, towards the end of the run, I was walking through town and uh, I was coming through a cemetery. I was dope sick. Everybody that doesn't know, uh, if, you don't, if you're addicted to heroin and don't have it, you become physically ill. You know what I mean? That's the flu. And uh, I was walking through the cemetery. There. He's been dead for some time. He's a Korean War vet, a Marine, old guard Marine, you know, real like rub some dirt on it type guy. And, uh, I remember I stopped at his grave and, uh, <laughs> you know, big, big, tough, bad heroin addict, homeless guy that I was. I just started to start crying. And I just remember saying, you know, Grandpa, I can't stop. I can't stop. You know, I don't know why. You know, I just can't stop. I can't stop. I can't hide, man. And and at this point, I was, uh, I was, I was starting to have suicidal thoughts. You know what I mean? Um, I was too afraid to, to, to put a gun in my mouth or jump off the bridge. But but I knew I could do a hot shot, right? I knew I could load up a, a needle with heroin and overdose myself. I tried multiple times. Multiple times I tried. Right? Just wasn't my time, you know. And, uh, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't pass away. I didn't lose my life. Uh, you know, I like to think of it as, as a higher power guarding me, watching over me, taking care of me, and uh, give me a chance at life. And uh, well, once once you kind of clear the fog away, you know what I mean. Get some time away from the dream, your head clears. Um, you know, I truly believe that uh, my purpose today to, to give back to, you know, to the world. Because I'll tell you what, I said all the time, a lot of better men than me due to their addiction. A lot of better men than me. So, you know, if I was blessed enough to, to get the second, third, fourth chance, and I'm here today, I'm not going to squander it. You know, I mean, I refuse to squander it. That wouldn't, that wouldn't do my fallen friends justice, and that wouldn't do the world justice. You know, yeah, it wasn't your time, and, and the rest of your time was going to be spent doing better. And yeah, 
absolutely. I uh, I think my wake up moment was when uh, when my buddy died. Uh, he, we worked together, but we both had daughters the same age, and he wanted he admitted himself into a rehab, and he, and uh, he said, "I'll call you later tonight when you get off." And so I stayed up waiting for his phone call. And, uh, and then maybe an hour later, there's a knock on the door and I'm like, oh, this dude, he left already, you know? And, uh, it was his girlfriend saying that he had overdosed, um, in the rehab facility. Um, but he had, he, when he called me at work, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And, uh, after he hung up the phone with me is when he went to the bathroom and one of the residents there had brought in some dope and like, yeah, right after you hung up with me and, uh, and that was, that was it. And I was like, yeah, I'd... I think that was my wake up moment. That's tough, man. That was a good dude. Rest in peace, Jason Mauger. Yeah, man. Now it's a shame. The, the, the window of willingness for most of those so small sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm willing to go to rehab right now, but ask me in 10 minutes and I won't be willing anymore. You know what I mean? So, like, again, to anybody out there listening, you think you got a problem or anybody you know, if you need the help, get it now. Because we're not promised tomorrow that lifestyle. We're really not. It's just, like I keep saying, it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better out there, right? If anything, it's getting worse. I mean, everything, oh, yeah. everything seems so much more dangerous now, too. I mean, definitely been more dangerous. It's not like we were younger, you know. Stuff back in the eighties and nineties was so pure, it was so I don't know. You could party for days and days and days, and like, you know, you weren't getting as affected now. And it's killing people left and right. Yeah, and then you got stuff like fentanyl out there, and. I don't know. And then uh, designer drugs, too. I don't even know about all, I mean, I've done them, but like, uh, I don't know about the new ones, at least. <laughs> not, and not to take away from coronavirus and all that, but one thing that's not talked about is the first lockdown, you know, the, the overdose has skyrocketed a few hundred percent. It's increased. And uh, I know the suicide rate as well. Has absolutely skyrocketed you know, since these lockdowns started. Real goal on, on the recovery community, on the, on the community, on the mental health community. It's, you know, it's a silent killer, man. What's up, Eric? Welcome back. Ah, uh, uh, thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. People being locked down, just not having anything to do, and then you got the stress of. You know, maybe not working, not being able to provide, and then your, your habits, and da da da. And yeah, I can imagine that this is. Uh, I didn't know if that. I, I hadn't heard that myself, but that, I believe it 100%. But I think this club has been a little helpful in that in that aspect too. You know, being able to like do video calls and and such like like we do. You know, and just reaching out, being able to see other people in other places, and you know, just just being able to communicate. Period um, is is a big help. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm going to get back to some of these comments here. DJ was chiming in a little bit earlier. Uh, he said he's on the verge of tears. So proud to call you in, my brothers. We love you too, DJ. We appreciate love it. Love you, DJ. You the bomb, DJ. Uh, Sean. Yeah, Sean. Uh, 11 years come June. And I want to say thank you to all my brothers brother. for helping me stay Congratulations, brother. Congrats, bro. Yeah, I think I think it's been. Uh, I haven't kept track, but it's got to be thirteen, fourteen years, some somewhere around there. Nice. Yeah, I, I didn't do my my little spiel before because I, I had to start driving, but uh, it's been six and a half years for me now. Nice. Did you get Dad's car taken care of? Yeah, which is yeah. honestly that's a blessing of recovery in itself. My family can depend on me today. Right. Six and a half years ago, I I would not have been the person to call if you had a tire blowout and needed a ride home. I, I probably wouldn't have answered even if they did call because, well, who wants to talk to their parents when they're high? Um. But yeah, he's he's good. He dropped his car off to the dealership, and uh, you know it's it's gonna be good. Yeah, um, you're a piece of shit when you're just that addict down in the dumps, just not worried about anybody else but yourself and 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 your next fix and or drink or pump or or what you know whatever. Just like, yeah, you're not the person <laughs> that someone's gonna call to help them move. You know, like no, that dude's gonna steal my shit. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. So it's it's it does feel good to you know know that people can depend on you. You know what I mean? Like I said, well, moving or changing a tire or a call for a ride or even showing up to work. Showing up to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, my wife used to get my number. She used to ask me for things when I was really high or drunk. And then in the morning, she'd say, oh, no, you promised me that I can have that Louis Vuitton bag. And I, would, I wouldn't want to feel like a jerk. So I'd say, all right. And then she would buy one. So we have a closet full. <laughs> so, <laughs> Got him. My number. That's a smart wife. Yeah, the, the kids started doing it, too. That wasn't yeah. good, you know. Get daddy while he's... uh. Yeah, while he's drinking. Just get that. Yeah. Yeah. He never says no when he's drinking. Yeah. yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. So, as I said in the beginning, right? So, Eric had the distinct pleasure of uh, of, of seeing me during this last relapse. I've known him <laughs> for a few years now. And, um, you know, you make a lot of friends in the recovery community. I mean, if, if you're in a 12-step program or going to outpatient therapy and things like that. And, uh, you know, when I relapsed, a lot of those people stopped answering the phone for me. You know what I mean? And and one person who, who always took the time to check in was, was Eric down there, you know, our New York VP. And uh, yes. so I finally, went, I finally went into a program and it was an hour and a half away from where me and Eric lived. Eric called me when I went in there. He said, look, he said, if you want, I will drive up there once a week to sit down and just and see you. And it would only be an hour, so one hour a week, and he was willing to drive an hour and a half each way, you know, just to, just to support a friend. And, uh, you know, I, I've spoken to Eric about it. You know, it's nothing new that he's hearing, but uh, 
that's the kind of love and support you find here, man. This club and and, and with with the people here, man. I mean, literally any length, any length, you know, for our brothers and and shit. This was before we were even in this club. You know, the RBC was just a uh, you know just starting up in our in our lives at this point. And and Eric made it a point to make sure that I was looked out for and I was cared for um, when nobody else cared for me. You know, and that's something that uh, he knows I'm eternally grateful for. And, uh, you know, I, I try to give that back to the next guy whenever I can. Because uh, it, 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 you know, it's really something special. Making me blush, bro. Shout out, Eric. <laughs> making me blush, bro. <laughs> uh, listen, you know, people... Whether whether it was in my you know the fellowship that I'm in or like you know I had a couple people in my life who they did the same thing you know there was like I got this one friend I wanted I don't think she's watching but she's out in Colorado now but she lived in New York at the time I met her during one of the lowest points um, not not right when I got sober but I went to a lot of psychiatric hospitals when I was out there because uh, I, I wasn't one of those people who ended up in jail or rehab more I, I went crazy. Like I, I went into full psychotic episodes and uh, she met me coming out of one of those. And for close to a decade now, she's been there every time she's like the only person who was there through and through no matter what. And then uh, my buddy, my buddy, John out in Jersey, I'm actually trying to get him in into uh, the RBC him too. You know, he, he did the same thing that I was offering to do for Jimmy. You know, I was, I was living out in Pennsylvania. I was pretty much spending most of my time alone in my room getting high, going on random. I don't know if you guys have heard of Omegle, but I used to, I used to get high. It's like chat roulette. I used to get high and I was like, I was like 300 pounds at the time. I'd get high, I'd get shirtless and I'd dance until somebody stayed long enough for me to try to have some human interaction. Cause there was so little of that back then. And um, this one dude, John, he used to make two hour drive to just come hang out with me for a bit. He even showed up one day, found out I was detoxing all the stuff and uh, dragged my ass to a camp out in Bumblefuck, Jersey, where there was only people in recovery of one way or another. And, um, you know, shit like that is what ended up helping me finally get it together, you know? So, so you went to uh, more of a like a camp based rehab type thing? No, it was just a bunch of people that knew each other. Oh, I, I wasn't invited. Out. Yeah, they were all they were all hanging out. He found out that I was like coming off stuff because okay. I ran out of money basically, and uh, he grabbed me, brought me. That was about four or five months before I got sober. But yeah, no, when I when I got sober, it was because uh, I basically I didn't think I could, and then I was just like called somebody. I was like, yo, dude, if if something doesn't change, I'm going to be dead tomorrow. Cause I, I was, I was not planning sobriety. I was planning on suicide. Cause I had been through rehabs and treatments before. And I, in my knowledge, I knew it didn't work for me. And then, uh, you know, I'm eternally grateful to that man too. Cause, uh, shit saved my life. Nice. Yeah. Thank goodness for people like that. There are some awesome people out there that are just, Life, lifesavers, you know. Yeah. Um, Angels in disguise. Yeah. Something else that is a little crazy too. So my my road eventually led me. I I went to prison for a bit, and just meeting some of the guys in there, um, that had actually spent more time in prison. They they were more comfortable in prison than they were out in the streets. You know, they didn't yeah. they didn't act out the streets. 
at least in prison, they know they get fed. They know how to maintain themselves in there. And and it's crazy because there's a lot of guys that live live their life in prison and would rather be in prison than out on the streets. Um, kind of the same thing after prison. I went into a residential treatment facility, which I was clean by then. But uh, just seeing how people act in there, too, still trying to smuggle shit in. And I almost got kicked out of the treatment facility and had to start the program all over because um, they brought in a new roommate for me. And... He brought some meth in with him, and I was at work that that day, obviously. And I came back from work, and like my room is tore the fuck apart. And they pulled me into the bubble, and they're like, "Hey, you know, did you know so and so had had some meth in your room?" I was like, "Fuck no, I didn't know. I don't know how to beat his fucking ass." They're like, "Well, if you wouldn't have fenced up to it, you know, you, you could have potentially got kicked out too." I was like, "No, nah, that ain't right. I've passed every UAA, done everything right." Like, but it's it's crazy. People get stuck in that lifestyle, and sometimes they just don't want out, you know. And there's there's no help in somebody that don't want it for themselves. Yeah. So, did you see? Did you see a lot of drugs in prison? Oh yeah, there's. Oh yeah, it, it's mainly prescription drugs. Um, but it, there was a guy that got caught with a light bulb and lighter and some crack in there. I don't know how the fuck he got that in, but obviously inside his body somewhere. Yeah. Both and there's, uh, there's a lot of drugs in prison. There's a lot of that. I know. I had to do. I the longest I ever did was a weekend, and it was for it was right. It was for driving while suspended. I'm not gonna act like I, you know, did something tough. It was driving while suspended, but I had to spend a weekend in there. And um, uh, they finally moved me upstairs to like the main um, holding block, and I got up there and I smell weed, and I'm like, oh, thank God, and. They're like, no, the weekenders were here, and it's all gone. Huh? But it's, you know that that that's my county drug experience. But yeah, I was just wondering, how, like, if there is a lot you see on TV shows and movies. You know what I'm saying? I'm just wondering if it's if it's really out there. Yeah, and I was in a pretty, you know, minimum security prison. But I mean, literally, the front door was unlocked. But you could have walked out. You'd have been caught like a block away, but. Yeah, there's, there's there's quite a bit of drugs. There's more than you think. And a lot of it's prescription drugs. You know, I forget the name of it, but there's there's something that you can take for, like, stomach problems and shit like that. If you take enough of it, like, it gives you pretty much a heroin high. And, mm-hmm. I mean, dudes trade commissary for that shit. Demodium. You know, favors, whatever they got to do to get it. But, Demodium? You know, no, it's... Uh, I don't remember the name of it. Yeah. Um, my buddy just got out of prison, and he said that people would um, put Suboxone films into cologne ads in magazines. Mm-hmm. And that, that was one of the ways that they got that in there. I was like, oh, that's pretty fucking clever. Yeah, that's inventive. That's but one thing about us... Uh, you know, people like us, we're fucking inventive as all hell. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, when you want, when you want what you want, you're gonna figure out a way to get it. Yep, adaptability, evolve, adapt, overcome. <laughs> yeah, you got a bunch of addict MacGyvers out here. Yep. You mean but you know, that kind of? That kind of. Said, give me, give me an ice pick and avocado and my snort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
but honestly that shit kind of does carry over even you know even when we get our shit together like i've noticed uh addicts and alcoholics and in recovery in general some of the smartest most ingenuitous people i know yeah problem solvers yeah we we want something we get it done (laughs) yeah i mean i always i always tell people like who do you know that wakes up flat broke not a penny to their name and it goes to bed with two, three hundred dollars worth of narcotics in their system. You know what yep. I mean? Like it takes some kind of some kind of ingenuity to do that. Yep. Yeah, it is true. And I like what I like what Ding Ding I like what Ding Ding was saying about you know those guys getting real comfortable in prison. You know because you know I, I've done more I've done more rehab time than I've done lockup time, and uh, this time around I did the math. And I went to my first rehab at 18. I'm 30 now. And I've spent more time in facilities, either jail or rehab, than I have on the street over the last, you know, 10 or so years. And uh, it's amazing, right? Because I remember a couple of years ago, I got out of a rehab and I was out for a couple months. And I remember looking at my buddy and saying, yo, I want to go back. Like, I want to go back to want to go back to the program. Because, you know, Ding Ding said it, you get so comfortable you know, it's easy when somebody mm-hmm. eats three meals a day and you don't got to go to work. You know what I mean? All you got to worry about is having a dollar for the Lucy man that's selling cigarettes in there, you know, and and it is. It's, it's scary sometimes when you get out and then you're on the street and you got to get a job and bills and family and stress and this, that, and the third. And it's real easy to get comfortable in places like that. It's, it's real easy. Yeah, I kind of had the same experience because all of, all of 2013 I was in – I went to four rehabs, no, two rehabs, four psych wards, sober living house, and like 12 or 13 outpatients. And uh, when I wasn't in those 2014, I didn't know what the hell to do. I wasn't wasn't comfortable with having freedom anymore. Because, you know, those are different from prison system, but it's still, you get a routine, that's what you get. You're in your lectures, you're eating what they tell you to eat. You're, if you want to work out, you work out when they tell you to. If you want free time, they tell you when it is. They tell you where you sleep. And, um, you know, not having that routine, it was just like, it's part of the reason I went to so many that year. Sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't got to worry about anything because they tell me what to I do. Know, I know we've all seen the Passages Malibu commercial, right? <laughs> I'd love, yeah, yeah. I want to try that place. Yeah, shout out to Intervention. That's a good show. Um, <laughs> you know, to anybody, anybody listening, most rehabs are not like the ones they set up to. No, they're not. Not that nice. No, not that show. Um, you're really rooting for the person, you know, and then at mm-hmm. the end, you know, at the end, it's like. They relapse. It's like fuck, and then it's like, but they're good now. It's like, all right, you know. <laughs> it's such a roller coaster. It, it is. Yeah. I remember my ex when I was with her. She was like, but she was doing so good. She was bawling her eyes out, and she was like, you know, over this girl on that show. Uh, I remember I used to watch that show, and I'd be like, oh. Look at this idiot. He can't stay sober like as I'm in my bed getting high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That actually reminds me. I remember I was I was sleeping. You just made me think of this, Jimmy. I was sleeping on a buddy of mine's floor because I, I was kicked out for a week or two. And uh, 
this kid was also sleeping on my buddy's floor with me, also in the same situation, and he can't stop drinking and getting high. And I'm just like, you, you're a fucking asshole. You need to stop. You know what you need to do? You need to go to one of them 12-step fellowships, and you need to get your shit together. Meanwhile, I'm smoking PCP on the bedroom floor right next to him. Yeah, pot called the kettle black there. Just... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's true, though. It, don't get it twisted, though, man. Like, staying sober, it's it's, it's hard, and it's work, and it's, mm-hmm. it's determination. And it, it's it's way easier just to slip back into that lifestyle and not have any responsibilities again. You know, this is, it's hard work to stay sober. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. End, it's, it's my belief in the end, you know, that I am a better person for it. So that's – and I'm, I'm fighting for something now, you know. Yeah. Keep everything I got. Yeah, we're fighting uh we're fighting a lifelong war. Yep. Till the day I die. Yeah. So um with with the uh, psych wards and um and the, uh, the places that you went, was that drug related? For me, yeah. So what happened to me multiple times was I went into, because of the PCP, the ketamine, shit like that, I went into drug-induced psychosis multiple times. And it was like full-on auto, audio-visual hallucinations where I was convinced that uh, I had some kind of supernatural abilities and the government was after me and there was people with devices implanted in them that were all around me. And I went nuts and like, I was convinced that the only way to fight these devices was to self harm. So I started self harming and I kept getting caught. And there was also a couple of times where I would try to kill myself because I, like I said before, I didn't think I could get sober. I thought that shit didn't work for me. And um, so I'd, I'd try to kill myself and end up there. But it was always always came back to whatever I was using at the time. If I was if I was boozing, it was suicide because I'd get really depressed. Yeah. If I was you know smoking PCP, I'd lose my fucking mind. I never did. That's one of the few things that I haven't done is PCP. Um, so I don't know that. Um, ketamine is cat tranquilizer, right? Special K. Yeah, the horse tranquilizer. Yeah. Horse tranquilizer, yeah. Yeah, I did that shit at work. <laughs> yeah, how was your performance that day? <laughs> I was, I was, dude. That's the weirdest drug. Um, I worked at a call center as a supervisor there, and and I don't. Even, my buddy had gotten it, and I did it, and this that's, that was just the weirdest. I kept going off to the fucking copy room, you know. Why is Derm keep? He ain't even coming out with any copies, you know. But. <laughs> What's he doing? What is he just fixing the printers? Yeah, there's some weird ones out there. Weird drugs out there. Yeah, yeah. and I did meth on accident because I thought it was blow. That's like how I did heroin. Because when I was like 16, I didn't know any better. Some kid told me and my buddy that uh, that he had some some ground up ecstasy, and he gave it to us just to do some lines. And then, well, we both pretty much just fell asleep like a little bit later. And <laughs> woke up a few hours after, and we were just like, "That was not ecstasy. What was that?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, I think I gave you guys some heroin by accident." Yeah, I did. I did meth. I did meth for like it was like three days, and uh, it ended up. Very typical. If you know anybody that's addicted to that, Sir Ding Ding can, can uh, you know, 
Everyone ends up naked. I was I was up for days on end, and, and the shadows started. You know, I started hallucinating just from lack of sleep, and the shadows started moving. And I could have forced somebody was breaking into my dad's truck in the driveway. And the next thing you know, I'm out the front door in my underwear with a shotgun, and uh, nobody was breaking into the truck. And I just I just remember thinking to myself like, oh shit, like I need to go to bed. <laughs> this is bad. And that was it. Never did mess. <laughs> yep. Uh, we had a guy stay with us who was all tweaked out one night, and he kept waking me up. And because uh, the, the the guns were in my room, that's all I'm gonna say. And he came, he's like, "Hey, hey, let me." And I'm like, "No, dude, go to bed." He's like, "There's people coming from from the shed." And I'm, uh, I went and I looked, and my roommate's like, "Just give him a gun." I'm like, "I'm not giving him a fucking gun." And, uh, <laughs> and we, we did, and he he went to sleep. But um, yeah. So I've never experienced besides psychedelics, uh, anything visual. You know, like seeing people or or seeing oh, things. You you stay up for five six days, and you'll see all kinds of shit that ain't there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I never, I never uh, met. It's one of the few things I didn't touch, but I do a lot of amphetamines in my day. And uh, that'll that'll keep you up a long time too. Yeah, I stayed up on like uh, uh, what Adderall. Yeah, yeah. And then four days on Adderall, and I I did. I was feeling pretty goofy. Yeah, you get you get get pretty out there after after like uh like seventy ish hours, you start to get out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, oh man, yeah. The Another thing too, it, after you know recovering and being sober for so long, um, you can immediately just look at somebody and be like, "That dude's high as shit." Like, yeah. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> Without a doubt. Like a bloodhound. Always yeah. know within five seconds. Yeah. Oh, that dude's got some shit on him right there. I know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, yeah, you know, it's funny when that was when that was me. I was always like, nobody can tell. You know, I'm 165 pounds. You know, nobody can tell that I'm hot. Like I look good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I tried to tell this dude he just was nodding off in the break room, and and then people would try to talk to him, and he's like slurring and shit. And uh, and I told him, you know, I'd been clean for a while, and I'm like, hey, bro slow down on the Percocets, you know? And he's like, no, no, I just I just don't feel good. I'm like, no, you're fucked up right now. And he's like, no, yep. no. And then he just, like, slurs something off to nobody and da-da-da, and he's nodding off, he's dropping his cigarette, and I'm like, I'm like, bro, even if you just ignore me, don't ignore me, you are, you know, like, slow down. And, uh. Yep. Looking like a fool, and then you think, "Yeah, that's what I look like." Um, I also found an old picture the other day of what I look like back then, and God damn, man! That is just embarrassing. Yeah, if any any of you guys are friends with me on Facebook, if you scroll back, you know, four or five years, you'll I was. I look pretty fucking bad. I still have a little beard, but it it was pretty bad. 
So yeah, I got a couple on Facebook too that are like cancer patient. I mean, dilapidated. That's guy. I mean, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I I actually. I was one of the weird people who I, I was skinny, super skinny at one point from it. But then the year I got sober, I gained like 130 pounds and then I got sober. So I was like, uh, when I, when I got sober, August, 2014, I was like 300 pounds, but 2013, probably from all the treatments I went to in 2013, but in the beginning of 2013, I was like 165, 170, which, uh, that, that weight, I used to think it looked great on me, but it does not look that good on me. <laughs> <laughs> you look good now. Keep up the yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody my my skin my skin's got a good now. tone to it now. It ain't got that yellowish hue anymore. <laughs> Yellow, sunken face. Like... Wait, you mean your kidneys are working right again? Yeah, it's the weirdest <laughs> thing, man. You know, my stomach, too. I remember I had ulcers and I'd be vomiting blood and, like, that doesn't really happen so often anymore. Yeah, you can poop regularly. uh, Yeah. (laughs) There's there's no going a week without going. (laughs) A week? I went in months, man. I had to go to the hospital twice. I thought I was going to get sepsis in my colon because I couldn't go to the bathroom for so long. Didn't that happen after I met you, too? I kind of remember you telling me about that. That that actually reminds me, when I was still early on in my recovery, my body was still all kinds of fucked up. I remember I I experienced something like that for like uh, like 10 days once, and this is just funny to me. I I went to the doctor at the... uh, the uh not the er but the other one that i can't remember the name of it's like a step below the er um yeah urgent care and i get there and the doctor goes like you know he does x-ray blood work urine sample he comes back he just looks at me he goes you're full of shit that's what's wrong (laughs) and i just i was early recovery my body was not working right he was being literal i was just full of shit that's all my problem was I know we're all sitting here like laughing, joking about this stuff. And it's probably because we're all recovered and have some time under our belts that we can look back and laugh at this shit. But at the time, like it, it's it's pretty serious. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. nothing to fuck with. So, yeah, worst worst way I can imagine living. You know, that was like hell on earth. Ten out of ten, don't recommend. <laughs> yeah, not in the least. These five in this room don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> drugs are bad, okay? Yeah. yeah. Save yourself. Yeah, man, I really wish I could find this picture. I know. <laughs> My mom shared it, and I'm like, Mom, that's not a good picture. Man. <laughs> <laughs> do you even know what I was on in that picture? Yeah, I'm scrolling through her Facebook. I thought I downloaded it from her Facebook. Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, Jesus. So not only did I not have a beard, but let me see. Oh. Oh, boy. Nice. <laughs> looking good, bro. Got the white feeder. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and I was skinny, but it was because of the drugs. I'm skinny now because I, I walk a lot. 
Uh, that was speaking of walking exactly. a lot. That was another part of my insanity. Jimmy knows this, but uh, I used to walk like 60, 80 miles a week. Like, because I was fucking like, oh my God, I don't get how anybody does that for fun. I, I did that because I was a slave to the drugs, but I, I fucking remember I used to, I lived on a mountain. I used to have to get on the, like, if I didn't walk to town to pick up that day, I was over. I was losing it. There's going to be a new hole in the wall. My door was going to come off its hinges. Something. Oh, so you were walking. You were walking a, a long distance to get drugs. Like fifteen to twenty miles, yeah, because nobody would drive me anymore. He lived in. He lived in like the sticks of New York. You know? Yeah. 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 It was. Yeah. Half of it would be on the mountain hiking. The other half would be uh, walking along the highway. Some reason, eventually thinking I'm cool walking on the guardrail, thinking people don't think I'm just weird for walking on the highway. <laughs> like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm walking on the guardrail. This is I do this for fun. It's not for the drugs. This is for fun. And then it's just coincidental that when I got clean, all of a sudden I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how that works. Uh, Mr. Walmart's Wi-Fi. Yeah, shoot, man. Thank anybody here answering the questions that anybody has. Um, yeah, the dedication, doing whatever you got to do to go get it, even if it's walking that far. I hey, how many it. times have you, you know, how many times I, I remember driving to get drugs, driving drunk, driving high. I mean, I can I can remember half my child driving and not remembering any of it. I mean, mm-hmm. like, days go by driving completely high or completely drunk and like not even remember getting anywhere. It was, yep. I mean, it was scary. Those were the scariest times of my life. Yeah. Waking yeah. up. When did I get here and how long have I been here? What did I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People right, looking yeah. at you like you got three heads. You don't know why. Plug, waking uh, up and plug, dreading what kind of text is going to come through of who you, who you, you know, what you did. Yeah. Um, it's a weird ass question. How come no one respects Howard Stern's penis anymore? <laughs> That's a great question. Did they ever really respect it that much? <laughs> yeah, I never heard much about it until now. That's the first time I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, inquiring minds want to know, though. Is that part of the disrespect? The fact that I haven't heard of it before? <laughs> I think you're on to something. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder what this guy's on. <laughs> um, I'll share this funny little story. On our, uh, me and uh, my buddy who passed, we were on our way to go score and on the way up there he tosses a condom over to my lap and he's like here open this up and when when we get it if you have to put it in there tie it up and swallow it if we get pulled over you know i mean whatever so i unroll this condom and i and i set it in the door panel of the car and we're we're in Gary, Indiana, the the baddest part, and 
we we go around the block and we see a cop and we're like, let's just go. So we head out of town right away and we get pulled over. And he's like, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, uh, we came to get some weed. And he's like, bullshit. Y'all came here to get some dope. And we're like, no, no, no. We came. We stuck with the story. We just came here to get weed. And uh, so he pulls us out the car and he's searching. And then he, he opens my door. And with a with a pin, he like holds up this condom, <laughs> and he's and he's like, "What? Is, what? What's going on here, guys?" And they're like, "Oh, dude, we were just screwing around on the drive here, this and that, whatever." And then, so we're standing there, hands on the trunk, this and that. And then the other cop is like, "Oh, okay." He pulls out a, a bag, a Ziploc bag, and inside of it is like another little blue bag, which looked like a dope bag. And I'm like, bro, what is that? And he's like, oh, shit. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, that's some lube that I had. <laughs> he, brought, he had it uh, going back and forth to his girlfriend's house or whatever, and it was in the car, and so we got a, we got a condom and some lube. <laughs> And uh, you guys so, had a new story for him, yeah. So then they're getting ready to let us go, and they're searching us. And the other cop searching my buddy reaches his hand into his pocket and he gets pricked. And he, he says, You know, what the fuck's in your pocket? What's in your pocket? And uh, my buddy's like, I don't know, I don't know. And he's like, well, we, I just got pricked. You know, and he's got his hand on his gun, you know, and he's like, what just pricked my finger? And then my buddy's like, uh, 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 a thumbtack. And he's like, what do you mean a thumbtack? Well, for some reason, my buddy had this weird little obsession of thumbtacks and picking at his fingers and stuff. I mean, they were stuck in the steering wheel, the dash. He took them from work and and he had them in his pocket and it stuck the cop. And, no, uh, they don't like that. No, no, no. And uh, <laughs> dude, the the look on his face was just pure. Oh my god, I don't even know. And uh, so he's like, "You guys get out of here." And if we see you, if we see you again, you're going right to jail. And we're like, yeah, we're out of here. So you got you guys got a condom, some lube, and a thumbtack. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I don't want to know what you guys are doing. Dude, yeah, so it was it was stupid. Uh, I first run in with the cops, and we were parking like uh, a massive, massive, you know, acreage of wood right down in the middle of nowhere. My buddy was sniffing ketamine. I saw the car drive by, slam the brakes, and turn around. I knew it was the cops, right? So, you know, like a drug addict, right? Like, get rid of the evidence. I remember the cop comes up to the car and I was so not whacked, right? And I, all I could think to do was chug the And the cop has a flashlight in my face, taking the water down. I was stuck. I couldn't stop chugging the water. We slapped the water out of my hand. Searches me, doesn't find anything. Two shovels and a pickaxe. 
Some of yeah, uh, some of it's funny, some of it's crazy, some of it you're, yeah, you're still ashamed of, you know, whatever. But yeah, some of the shit that's funny too. We tell normal people, they're just like, uh, "Whoa, there, buddy, that ain't really that funny." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, anybody, yeah, anybody who's going through any anything that they want to get out of, you know, and. Whether any any of the drugs or, I mean, there's other addictions out there too, you know. Uh, oh yeah. There, there's help out there, and there's people to talk to, and and there's people to talk to. And it you can know? get better. Yeah, it, it can, and, and it will if you if you just yeah get over that hump, you know, that look in the mirror, that going to bed that night, the, whatever it is, you know. You just gotta change one addiction for another, because we're all, you know, we're all addicts for good, right? It's not like we ever lose addiction. It's like that jerk in that Malibu commercial says, "I'm not addicted anymore." That's bullshit. He's always an addict. You're an addict for life. It's not. We just changed addiction from alcohol and drugs to, "Hey, look, I have six kids. I'm a tab addicted to something." You know, it's always something. Everything, like you said earlier, everything's an addiction. You take everything to the extreme, right? Everything we do, I'm sure everyone here right now, everything we do, we take to an extreme because that's just who we are. So there's nothing wrong with being an addict. It's just taking the addiction and putting it into something positive, whether it's your family, yeah. your kids, your job. I don't know. I mean, it's just... You just in line with, it. Uh, you take that and put it to, you know, reverse it. It goes in line with what I was texting Jimmy earlier. I was joking. Uh, I, I went from being a druggie to a service junkie. Anytime I can do any kind of service, I just, like, I can't say no. Yeah, I went to see some people earlier today. They need someone to run a website for them. So I was just like, you know what? Yeah, I got it. I got to, you know, I got to figure it out. I don't know really, but I'll, I'll do it. You know, when, when Joey asked me to, to join him in the New York chapter and be his VP, I was like, yes, I can do service there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, finding a way to put that determination, that focus that we have, that we did have on the drugs and the booze and, uh, you know, we, we refocusing it, putting it on something better, you know, me with dad, my son, being a dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be positive. Turn it into something positive. Yeah. yeah Eric is in more group chats than he'd like to admit. Yeah. yeah. Outside of the club, I'm in probably like uh, another 15 or 20 group chats outside of that. And I'm active in pretty much all of them. Yeah. That's too much for me. I'd have to mute them all. Oh, I do. I just, I still go back and check them. Go check them. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. 
but yeah, it's good to have, it's good to have a support system out there, you know, even if it's not related to you know whatever you're kind of going. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's good to have people out there mm-hmm. who are there for you for any reason at all, and there are people out there for you and. Yeah, you just gotta find them. And I found all you guys, and I love all you guys. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm addicted to this club. Wow. You know, I'm always saying since I, since I joined this club, that sense of loneliness I had almost my entire life was pretty much eradicated since September when I joined. Which I was not expecting. That. I didn't even know that I that was what I was feeling until it went away. And that's that's thanks to BRBC. We don't let you go away. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to keep hounding you and calling you and checking on you. <laughs> yeah, and that's like such a blessing. Yeah. Haven't, yeah. You, you haven't been uh, active and, uh, you know, saying anything. And then all of a sudden, something message you like, hey, bro, you okay? You doing good? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm good. All right. Just check yeah. it. You know, like that. That's huge. Yeah. You know? Because even if I'm not doing good, there's times where I don't want to say, hey, I'm struggling right now. But if somebody messages me and asks me how I'm doing, then I'll be honest. It's, you know, I don't, I don't lie anymore. That's kind of part of sobriety for me, too, is yeah. I, I was such a pathological liar before I came in, before I, like, you know, got my shit together. And uh, now somebody asks me, I'm honest, and I can actually let people be there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. Letting people be there is huge, too. You know, because you're so you know, involved in your own world, doing worried about yourself. You know, you're not letting other people in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron here says, uh, "My worst day was at bedtime. Uh, my heart went absolutely crazy. My chest was hurting, literally flinching from my heart beating so hard." Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're still here and you're doing good and you're a big part of this club and, and we love you and you're kicking ass. So Yeah, man. Get into the fix, Aaron. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have Brandon add you. Because um, I don't know how to add people into the chats. So... Thanks for getting on here, guys. I, I appreciate you um, hopping on and sharing your stories and talking about stuff that, one, most people don't hear about if they're not involved in life. Um, and, two, just something that maybe you don't talk about often or, um, you know, just everything. Thanks for doing this with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us, bro. Thanks for having us. Again, anybody out there, if anybody's struggling, reach out, please. I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. There's there's help out there. And one some shape or form, there's 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 help out there and there's people out there for you. So Absolutely. Yeah, I know being being on the board, the international board, uh everybody's got access to our phone numbers. You know, it anything you need, anytime. All you gotta do is somebody's always available. Yep. So along with um 
Oh, let's see here. Let's see if I can pull this up quickly. Maybe. Not. Um, no, not that one. So the some more specialized chats that we offer. Uh, we have some for for the guys who enjoy drinking and smoking cigars. Um, the dads and single dads, dieting, uh, working out, fishing, gaming, the LGBTQ. That's one of our first chats that we uh, had along with the military and ex-military. Marriage advice, mental health. That's another big one. Um, along with the fix here, addiction and recovery, and like I said, wrestling, and, and uh, you know, there's just places where it doesn't get lost in the regular chats, you know, and you can kind of stay on topic and don't lose the conversation with one another. Um, I don't know, I think that's one of the cool perks about uh, what we offer, the Bearded Rebellion Beard Club. Um, if you're interested in joining... I'm Germ1280 on all the social medias, um, so hit me up, and then uh, we have a new international scout, uh, Ant Mason from the UK, uh, he took Beans' spot as my partner, as my co-international scout. Aunt Mason took his spot. Beans moved on to uh, lieutenant on the international board. But he's still going to host the show when he's not getting his groove on with his old lady. <laughs> because this guy, you know. He's a good time. Yeah, beans, kid, beans. Guys, I, I got to jump off. My phone is about to die any second now. So, Jeremy, yeah, thanks for having me. We're Bless we're you guys. Thank you. And I'll talk to you guys later. All right, thanks, Jimmy. And, uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for doing this. Next week, we'll be back with uh, with another show. I'm trying to get the U.K. guys to do something a little bit earlier in the day so it's not 2 in the morning. Um but I, I want to do a UK episode, and I don't want the time to jack them up. So I'm trying to work on that. Um, if, if you guys have ideas for a show, uh, hit me up. Uh, sponsors, we could, you know, I'd love to do that again. But, uh, yeah, love you guys, and uh, we'll see you next Peace. Sunday. Much love and respect. Peace out.